Well, good morning um, from me, Kay. I'm on the ministry team here at um, CBC, and I want to add my welcome to Lawrence's this morning, and it's my joy to bring God's word to us this morning. I wonder if you have a Bible or whether on um, the YouTube you can click on the Bible section and turn to Psalm 51. So I want to begin by reading Psalm 51 this morning. David says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And then verse 16, do not delight in, you do not delight in sacrifices or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Shall we pray together? Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray now that you would speak to us. We pray that our hearts would be willing to hear what you have to say. And Father, you'd anoint my words that we together might learn and grow in our relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I think it would be fair to say that we live in a throwaway culture. Now, programs like the, the Repair Shop possibly are changing that a bit. Fascinating program where they take people's broken things, often very precious things, and they spend, the experts spend time repairing them and, and getting them back to new. Uh, they do it with great love and care, don't they? And it's amazing, if you've ever watched it, what they're able to do with some of these broken items. But overall, I think it is true to say we live in a throwaway culture on the whole, we're not terribly keen on things that are broken. Because if something's broken, it tends to lose its value. It becomes worthless, and so we hide it away, so we don't want to see it, or we throw it away. Brokenness, I think, is seen as weakness, and we don't really like weakness. More likely to be valued in our society are strength and ability, success, power, recognition, achievement. Sadly, we tend to cover up weakness. For us in the UK here, we might call it um, the stiff upper lip. Uh, those sit situations where we don't want to express our sadness or our pain or our fear. But it also means that often disabilities um, are marginalised, not given equal opportunities. It means we celebrate powerful, successful people in politics, in business, in entertainment and in sport. So if success is strength and brokenness is weakness, why would we ever choose to pray a prayer like, break my heart? After all, none of us ever goes into any sort of relationship asking someone to break our hearts, do we? 
Now, for any of you who've ever had your heart broken through a serious relationship breakup or through losing a loved one, would probably say that not only emotionally, but in every way, it is the most painful thing that you can go through. And I'm guessing most of us have at some point been in that place. But what if, in God's economy, weakness is, in fact, strength? What if brokenness, brokenness leads to something much more beautiful than human strength? Well, this morning we come to that prayer, break my heart. And like all the other dangerous prayers that we've looked at so far and we'll look at in the future of this series, it has to come with a health warning, doesn't it? Because this really is a dangerous prayer to choose to pray. And if I'm honest, I know that most of us will avoid ever praying this prayer, not today or ever, because it is so difficult. And I know from my own experience there have been times when I have not been willing to pray this prayer, even though I've known that that's what God asked of me, because I knew it was going to be too hard. However, I also know that I have, been, I have experienced brokenness before God many times. Those times when, in brokenness, my faith has really grown, my relationship with God has been more intimate than at any other time, and my life has made the most sense in those times of brokenness. So here's the heads up for the journey that we're on this morning as we explore this really dangerous prayer. If we're willing to pray the prayer, break my heart, these are the three things that we are saying to God. One, we're giving permission um, for God to deal with sin in our lives. Two, we're choosing to surrender everything. And three, we're inviting God to use our brokenness to serve other people, to serve the broken. And that's the three things we're going to look at this morning. So firstly, break my heart, God. Deal with my sin. So I want us to look at Psalm 51 this morning. David wrote this psalm when he'd really, really messed up in life. He'd committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then he committed a whole load more sins, trying to cover up his tracks. And the whole of the psalm, as you listen to it this morning, is David crying out to God in repentance. He's recognized his sin, not only that he's sinned against other people, lots of them, but he'd sinned against God himself. And he's asking God, but he's also receiving God's forgiveness. And at the end of the psalm, David reveals that acknowledging our sin and our need of God is what a broken heart looks like. Look at verse 17 again. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart you do not despise. David here is pointing to the fact that sacrifice isn't enough. It was never enough. It didn't deal with the deep problem of sin. And David realized that sin was a deep problem, but the problem lay in his heart. And he realized that only God can sort that problem out. So here's a really tough question for a Sunday morning. What are you doing about the sin in your life? Does it even bother you? What am I doing about the sin in my life? Does it bother me? Well, I think we can be caught in two traps. One trap convinces us that our sin isn't quite as bad as the Bible makes out. Or trap two, we can think that we can sort the problem out for ourselves. <laughs> well, David got caught out in both, didn't he? And he became blind to the state of his heart. Now, we all know 
the, the, the character of David. He was a great king, wasn't he? He was a great leader. He was an amazing soldier. And he gradually began to value strength and ambition and, um, and power. And he gradually began to justify his sin and his behavior. And there's a pull, I think, in our, in our um, culture, in our world, to justify our sin. Like David, we can begin to... Um, convince ourselves that we deserve to be treated better, that we're lonely, so it's okay to dabble in porn, that we've worked so hard to earn our money, it's okay how we spend it, and if we want to gamble it a bit, that's fine, that we have a right somehow to harbour anger against a colleague at work, or we have the right to think because my husband doesn't give me any attention, it's okay to look somewhere else for it. David made excuses too. His excuses were lust, adultery, deceit, and eventually murder. You see, the Bible says that our hearts are hard like stone. The Bible also says that our hearts are desperately wicked. And it's true, isn't it? The evidence is before us. When it comes to sin, we can convince ourselves that anything is okay. But we also fall into that other trap as well, that if I try harder, then I can sort myself out. If I, if I try harder not to sin, if I try to be better, then I'll be okay. But we discover, like David did, that self-will and determination doesn't ever change the state, the problem in our hearts. And as David confronted what he had done and what he had become, he found that he'd lost his relationship with his God. What he'd done was he'd substituted God's love for a poor and rather pathetic alternative. David also found this, though, that in the difficult but rather simple step of recognizing the truth of his sin against God and his inability to do anything about it, God was waiting for him, already, already waiting to meet with him and to forgive him. Isn't that amazing? And God's asking us this morning to get to that place where our hearts are broken because we realize that our sin, whatever it is, grieves God and that it ruins this relationship that he wants to have with us. So I'm going to ask again, how's your heart this morning? Are you tolerating sin in your life? Or is your heart broken before God, recognizing that he is the only one that can forgive and cleanse and deal with that sin. Told you it was going to be tough this morning. Let's look again at Psalm 17. It's the next prayer. Break my heart until I surrender. You know, God, the all-powerful, the all-knowing, the almighty God, isn't looking for strength and achievement, but he's looking for brokenness. A broken and a contrite heart. Now, the word here, obviously broken, means broken, but it means that you can either break off in pieces or it means to break down completely, to crush something, to destroy it. Now, for the Old Testament readers who would have been listening to David here, they would have heard the word heart as essentially the whole of you, your feelings, your will, the very center of who you are. God wants all of me. That's it. It's that simple, but it's also that difficult. Because to truly know and experience God's love, the only way we can be in relationship with this amazing God who created us, who loves us, who gave himself for us, is to surrender ourselves completely to him. 
But this involves being broken, it, being, it involves being crushed, and it often means going through painful and difficult circumstances. Think of Hannah in the Old Testament. We looked at Samuel a couple of weeks ago, Samuel's mum. Hannah was unable to conceive. She was uh, teased by her rival. She suffered such incredible sadness and anguish, if you read in 1 Samuel. Her heart was so broken. You could say she was stripped bare before God. God allowed her to face that difficult situation because there she faced her, her inability to help herself, her brokenness. But in that place as well, we read that she found God to be everything that she needed as she turned to him. And then think about Paul in the New Testament, another example. He speaks very openly about his thorn in the flesh, doesn't he? We're never told what that thorn in the flesh was, but it was something that caused Paul to be broken some difficult circumstances that stripped him completely of his own resources and forced him to question what really mattered, that forced him to trust God in a way that if he hadn't had that thorn in the flesh, he wouldn't have done. Can you think back to a time in your life when, when your heart's been broken like that? Times when you realised that those things that we thought were important suddenly held very little value? I can. I'm sure you can too. In fact, maybe you're facing a time like that right now. Perhaps the thought of another month in isolation feels beyond what you can handle. Perhaps uh, the fear of, of catching the virus or of a loved one becoming ill is, is overwhelming for you. Whatever you're facing, that, that mountain that seems too huge to climb, that burden that seems too heavy to carry... God longs for you to meet him in that tough place. Because a broken heart is found when we come to the end of all that we have, when we surrender our hearts and our minds and our wills to God and say to him, God, you are enough for me. I wonder, are we prepared for God to break our hearts? Are we prepared for God to bring us to that place of total surrender? Perhaps you're thinking that that's just a bit too much. It's too hard a, a call, too difficult a prayer to pray. Perhaps you're thinking to yourself that I'm happy to allow to God, God to sort out some of the rubbish, to deal with some of the sin in my life, the bits that are difficult, but I'm not sure about him taking over. I'm happy for God to be the kind and loving parent. I'm happy for God to be that faithful friend. But a surgeon? No, I'm not too sure about that demolition crew that's why it's a dangerous prayer it takes weakness and it takes surrender but let me ask that question again what if God's greatest blessings come from God being allowed to break our wills what if brokenness leads to something much more beautiful what if we miss out on intimacy and relationship with God what if we miss out on peace and wholeness because that's only possible through brokenness and pain? What if the joy, the peace, the love that we all honestly long for can only be found in our brokenness? Listen to these amazing words in Psalm 34, verse 18. It says this, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Just like a gardener is so close 
to the vine that he prunes. Or just like the potter is so close to the clay that he molds, so God is close, so close, as we allow him to break our hearts, as we become totally his. We've looked at break my heart as a prayer to deal with sin in our lives. We've, we've looked at break my heart as a way of surrendering our lives to God. We're going to briefly look at now what it might mean to break our hearts to serve others. And I want to do this by looking at Luke uh, chapter 22, verses 19 and 20. Jesus is at the Last Supper not long before he's going to die on the cross. And he shares food with his disciples and he says this. He took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. He gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. In a moment, we're going to share communion together. We'll take the bread, we'll break the bread, we'll drink the wine, and we'll remember Jesus' death on the cross for us. Nothing could be weaker than a man hanging on a cross. Jesus' bare and broken body put on display for all to see, slowly dying in pain on a cross while his enemies looked on smugly, making fun. At the heart of our faith is what the world would consider weak. But in the cross, we, did, we discover just how deep and strong God's love for us is. The price that he was willing to pay for our sin and pride to be dealt with. Jesus gave his life for you and for me. The Bible says that he humbled himself and became obedient to death. How do we respond? We give ourselves. We humble ourselves. We allow God to reign. We refuse to tolerate sin, especially that horrible sin of self-sufficiency and pride that prevents us experiencing and, and sharing God's love. Some theologians think that when Jesus said, do this, he wasn't only asking his disciples to take the bread and wine and, and remember his broken body and his shed blood, but he said to do this, meaning to love like he loved, to give our lives to serve and to love others in the way that Jesus has for us. If we're followers of Jesus, if we're seeking to, to be disciples who live as Jesus lived, then we're called to be like him. We're called to follow. And he is a God who gave himself up for others. Perhaps then there is some truth in the saying that those who are broken the deepest are used the greatest by God. I think because those who are broken the deepest understand the cost of God's love for us. So as we metaphorically, sadly not in reality, gather around the communion table, what a perfect opportunity if you would like to, to pray this dangerous prayer. Let me ask you again, what in our hearts needs breaking this morning? Is there some unconfessed sin? Or is it that challenge in our difficult circumstances to realise that we need to surrender 
and let go of pride and self-sufficiency. Or perhaps for you this morning, it's about discovering again that amazing heart of love that breaks for those who do not yet know God's love. God's heart breaks for those who don't know his love. I want to finish by telling you a rather personal story. It's about my daughter Esther. Many of you will know her. <laughs> when she was just one year old, she, uh, she had to have major surgery on her hip. Uh, the operation meant that her hip had to be broken. Esther was a lively, active toddler who just learnt to walk. She just found the freedom of being able to walk around the house and play and independence and all that learning to walk brings. Why would I, as a parent, allow her to be put under anaesthetic, be put in a plaster from her chest down to her toes for six weeks, unable to, to walk or to play or to do anything? It was such a difficult thing to allow to happen. But I knew as her mother, as her parent, that if she didn't have that operation, she would have a limp and she would have problems for the rest of her life. As I stood by her bedside, holding her hand while they put her under the anaesthetic, it broke me. I cried and cried. It was such a difficult thing as a parent to let my daughter go through such terrible pain. But do you know what? In that moment, I had just a small glimpse of my heavenly father's heart when we go through things that seem to make no sense at all. But they make sense to him. How he feels our pain. How close he is holding our hand when we suffer. But he knows that, just like I knew about Esther's hip, that we need to be broken in order to be made whole. There's something, isn't there, about being crushed and broken that enables us to discover true value and purpose in life. There's something about being crushed and broken that helps us to discover the life of joy and freedom that Jesus died and rose again for us to know. Brothers and sisters, shall we pray together? Let's pray. Jesus said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Jesus also said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be too. Paul said these words, what is, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage, he says, that I might gain Christ. Father God, we thank you this morning for your amazing love. May we, like Paul, be able to say that we consider everything else loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing you, Jesus and all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.